0: Get there just a little bit. Uh Tab, I left my Bible up there on the but do bring it up to me there, please. Yeah, that's it, hon. Yeah. dog needs a good Bible. Don't that. Thank you. You need to be a submissive wife and just do what I tell you to do. I don't need the comments on it. The local New Testament church. That's that's what we've been talking about. You know, when you lose your Bible, and I've talked about this before, I've given you the seven things that you lose. One of those things, obviously, is your perspective. And I, I, I it never ceases to amaze me how that God's people know nothing about the key central plan of God in this age, which is the New Testament local church. There's a pattern for that church all the way through the Bible that has been forsaken today. There's people, I guarantee you, I didn't get a chance to look how many people are on the on YouTube today, and I know that there's people all over the country and places like that, and maybe people who are homesick today, but I guarantee you, every time we have a Bible study, every time we have a Sunday morning, there's people out there who tune in who are too lazy to get up and come to church today, and it's easier for them just to sit home and listen to it on the, on the YouTube. And I want to tell you right now, if I had a way to block you, I would. <laughs> you say, well, I'm really upset. What are you going to do, quit coming to church? I'm not in a very good frame of mind this morning. <laughs> I've had my world shaken this week. You know, we go to church, building a Philadelphian church in a Laodicean church period. To most of God's people, that's just talking points. That's just something you say to make a point. It's never been that to me. To me, it's always been I understand the Laodicean church period we're in, and I understand the greatest period of church history that was. I understand why it was. I understand what God did to it. I understand that Revelation chapter 3 says, in the day and age that we live in now, that the Bible says, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, if any man hear my voice and let me in, I will come and sup with him. And literally, it's telling us, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, that in most churches today, they've locked Jesus Christ on the outside, and He's knocking on the door, getting back in. Those two churches, the Philadelphian Church Age and the Laodicean Church Age, have been called down through history, the Church of the Open Door, Church of the Closed Door. The Church of the Open Door was the church, the door that God opened of opportunity that no man could shut because they kept the Word of God. The Church of the Closed Door is the Laodicean Church period, where... Man tries to open that door, but when God shuts the door, nobody can open it. And there's a reason for that. I hate to say this, but in many cases, in all churches, there's people who look at this church like any other church they go to, just something you do on Sunday morning. There's no perspective of it, what it really is or what it really means in your life. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, Jesus himself says, Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the man of some is. And yet, some of you are someplace else today doing something else instead of being where you need to be. I'm not fighting it. I'm just telling you. The Bible says that Jesus loved the church in Ephesians chapter 5 and gave himself for it. He didn't love your ball game you're at today. He didn't love your fishing trip you're on. He didn't love this. He didn't love that. The Bible, hey, and I'm, I'm up for those things as much as anything. I've been talking about the church. This is our third Sunday. We'll have one more Sunday in it. But something changed my whole world this week. I've said it many, many times. And I, I even hesitate saying this because it sounds out of place, and it sounds wrong, and it sounds like I'm saying something that I maybe shouldn't say, uh, but I'm going to say it anyhow. You get too much Bible around here. My biggest flaw in my world and my life is making sure you get everything that you need. And I want to tell you, some of you get an attitude toward the word of God, and you don't appreciate what God has given you here. So you get the mindset and the attitude that God isn't here. You get the mindset and the attitude that there's something wrong with the preaching and the message. I know you haven't heard a good sermon in six months. Every church needs a reality check. Every church. You're going to get a reality check this morning. I didn't plan it. Nobody could plan it this good. It's going to change, hopefully, everybody in this church. And you know what? Most of you, all of you here are good people, but some of you bought into that stupidity. Some of you bought into the fact that this church isn't teaching you the Bible. Some of you bought into the fact because you had better relationships with them than you do with this. And you got your nose bent out of joint. It shows this morning. Mm-hmm. Hey, don't mess with me. I'm like a dentist who doesn't like you. <laughs> when I'm going through your teeth and probing for a bad one and you scream on one, I'm going to stay there for a while. Come on. I want to change your world this morning. I'm going to change camp this morning. Amen. I'm going to change your kids this morning. I got a letter this week. Building a Philadelphian church in a Laodicean church, period. That's what I've tried to do. I've tried to give every one of you the Bible as much as you could stand. The problem is, some of you can't stand much. And here's the danger, and I see it in our own kids. We give our kids too much sometimes, you know that? We buy them whatever phones they want. we buy them whatever jeans they want, we buy them whatever whatever, whatever they want. and, and I get it, and'm I'm not I'm, I've done it to mine I've spoiled mine rotten. I mean uh, I mean, uh, my kids do it to their kids. You all do it to yours. Come up to Jamie 's, stay off the trampoline next week. It'll launch you into the neighbor's yard. But you know what, us older people who maybe grew up and didn't have everything that we wanted to have when we wanted it, and I'm not saying anything against your kids because your kids have a good balance and there's good kids in this church who really understand and appreciate it. But you know as well as I do, in a common situation, when you get all that you want and you have all that you need, you start to take things for granted. And that's the danger here in this church is never dumping the King James Bible. The danger in this church is never taking Baptist off our name. The danger in this church is giving you too much Bible and you take it for granted and then you get an attitude in the midst of a wealth of knowledge that people across this world don't have. You say, I don't like the way you're talking. You're going to like it less before I get through. I got a letter this week. Chained my whole life. Shat it. wept for an hour. Couldn't put it down. I've carried it with me everywhere I went. It was the, it, I, and I didn't plan on it. But it was the, it, it is what I needed. Because I'm telling you, when you start to build any church, any church, you're going to have people who don't appreciate what you give them, even if you don't give them much. But the real danger here is you getting too much. Too much knowledge, you don't do anything with it. Or you don't get any knowledge and in the midst of everything that's going on, you get an attitude. Or you start to find some people who get their nose bent in a joint about something instead of dealing with it biblically, they get an attitude toward the Word of God and you're stupid enough to fall into it. Say, I'm leaving the church. We kept both doors open back there. This letter is from Nigeria in Africa. Dear brothers in Christ, may God bless you every minute, every hour, and every day in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. With due respect, we are writing you in this way, honestly speaking, from the Polytech Yura Alabadan, which is a trade school in Africa, I'm sure, I, and 219 other students. Brothers and sisters do gather at one of our Christian school libraries. And there, we read from your website the powerful, undiluted, uncommon, undeniable, unfailing, unavoidable, True messages of God. They obviously haven't talked to some of you yet. Brethren, the message from your website has latter touched the lives of 220 of us here at Polytech. We are more than 10,000 students in our school. If I am not mistaken, but 220 of us today decided to give our lives to Christ, and here goes our true testimonies. Amen. Sincerely, we have been reading from your website for a while, but just for reading's sake. Oh, they're like most of my people. And none of us has ever concluded to give his or her life to Christ. But one day something so serious happened. There was a misunderstanding between some people and eight of our close friends were murdered in cold blood. Brother, This these eight friends of ours died without Christ. So today, 220 of us from Polytech, we don't want to die like our eight friends. You see, because of the messages we have been reading and reading from your website, and because of the death of our eight friends, 220 of us have now completely surrendered our whole lives to Christ. We remember... We remembered, we remembered all we have been reading from your website about salvation, eternal life, and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and there was no other way, and that to all who come to Jesus, he will nowise cast out, and God is able to save and forgive all sin. Brother, we have seen our friends die without Christ, and 220 of us don't want to die without Christ. We want to make it to heaven. Brother, you see, 220 of us before, we were backsliders, churchgoers, drunkards, humanizers, idol worshipers, Muslims, and members of secret cults. But today, 220 of us have denounced all those things. We are now for Jesus, and Jesus is now our Lord and Savior. We started going to a Bible-believing church. We all are ready to witness for Jesus, but our main problem is now the lack of Bibles. 220 of us (coughs) don't have any Bibles to read God's Word and be able to stand and become complete soldiers of Christ and ambassadors for Christ. You know what? Some of you got five or six Bibles at home and you won't stand for nothing. And this is weighing our Christian journey down, but we believe by faith that your ministry is able to help and provide 220 Bibles for us. We need to pray about that. Right. (laughs) Dear brother in Christ, please kindly send 220 of us, 220 complete holy Bibles that have the Old Testament and New Testament and other helpful literature and books that will equip us more so that we may grow spiritually. And we will promise you That as soon as our Bibles arrive, it will be prayerfully shared. It will not be exchanged, bartered, or burnt, but it will be used to the glory of God. Now, what are you going to do with that? See, some of you don't get nothing here. Maybe it takes being in the middle of a Muslim country with eight of your friends being killed with no Bible before you realize what God has given you here. And I say that, bothering me even saying that. I made enough copies for every family to have one of these if you want. And the next time you pile up with one of those sniveling, mealy-mouthed, weak-knees, Laodicean Christians who doesn't like what God is doing here or think He's doing nothing here, give them that. Church is just a place. Another building on a street corner with so many more. A place that you can go and get what you want, and when you don't get it exactly the way you think you ought to get it, then you get your nose bent out of the When somebody isn't nice to you, doesn't do something for you, and they don't treat you the way you think you ought to be treated. How ridiculously stupid, ridiculously stupid that the Bible is not taught here, I got 220 people that will argue with you. We're going on the record. The record of you understanding the church, that letter could not have come in a more apropos time of where we are at and where we're going. This changes camp because the theme of our camp is missions. You guys have labored to build that. You knew nothing about this. We knew nothing about that. Who got you guys to decide it was going to be about missions and put these incredible things about the Moravians, the real biblical missionaries of church history? Now, I got the website of this lady. And I want to see it. And by the way, we're entering into a program. You want to partner with me? You let me know. I'm go- we're, going to start- we're going to start raising the money to send these people their Bibles. And you're not, don't take it out of your offering and put it here. It's going to have to be a sacrifice for you. You come and see me, and we'll put this thing together. I've already got the details being worked out. We're going to send them these combat Bibles that we get here. I'm sure they want them in English. English is a primary language in in Africa because the British missionaries in the 1900s taught them how to read and write in English through a King James Bible Bible. But there's no reason why some of you can't get a hold of them as we develop this thing and disciple them and work with them uh, through that. There's no reason why out of camp our kids can't come out. You ain't going to tell me there ain't kids over there. You see, this is a biblical missions program. This is the way it's supposed to be done. We now have, by their own word of mouth, 220 missionaries that we don't have to make any money to send any money to shed him over there. All we got to do is get him a Bible, you and the website, not me, you, you, this church, every man and woman who supports this work, that keeps that website up, who does the work, who lays it out, who prints the books, who reads the material, everybody here who has been part of this work. Forget me. You're the church. God has taken your labor of love and touched the lives of 220 people who got on the website, (coughs) found what God wanted them to find, and then sat down in a college room someplace and decided all 220 of them were going to give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, our missionaries, our missionaries. If half of those people have the fervor that this lady that wrote this letter to me does, we'll win half Africa together. That's a lot better than sending some kid down to a, a mission school at a mission Bible college someplace. He's down there for three years. <coughs> he learns how to become a little American within his own another culture. And so he goes down there in his little suit with his little American flag. And then he's down there for a couple of years. Then they bring him home because he needs a rest. Real missions, nobody can reach another person's culture like a person in that culture. I'm not saying that there isn't time that, that you don't do that. But what I'm saying is, if you go to mission, Africa to be a missionary, do what the models on the wall stay. Give up your American citizenship. Become an African. Become a Nigerian. And go down there and become one with those people. Don't go try to down and win another culture still being an American. You say, well, I don't know if I can do that. That's because you do not understand that now that you're saved, your citizenship is in heaven. Two aspects of the church. You have the church militant. That's this church right here. We're in a fight. We're in a war. This is the church militant. Then you have the church triumphant. That's a spiritual body of believers that we're all born into the moment we get saved. One time, Savonarola, who lived back in the 1400s, he was a great, great witness for Christ. He was a Roman Catholic priest that got saved and just caused all kinds of problems for the Roman Catholic Church. They offered him a cardinal's red cap if he would shut up and quit preaching the Bible. He said, "I'll take a cap of blood, meaning being martyred," and he was. Before they burned him at the stake, the priest came up to him and he says, "Savonarola." I'm going to separate you from the church militant and the church triumphant. He snarled back and he says, You may separate me from the church militant by killing me today, but you will never separate me from the church triumphant. We'll go through some tough times down here. They're going through some tough times over there. Just giving them King James Bible is not going to solve their problems in a Muslim country like Nigeria. It may not just be eight people who wind up getting killed, but I guarantee you God is in control, and I guarantee you God is using your church, you, every one of you, to reach out across into Africa and give you 220 souls simply because you were willing to begin to understand the concept of building a Philadelphian church in the Laodicean church period. Um, so far, we've saw some really important concepts. We've seen how the church started last time we were together. I showed you how that there were seven distinct churches in the Bible and I defined what a church really is. We talked about the commission of the church. Everybody teaches this in Matthew 28 and, Luke, and Mark 16. Now we know it's not. It's found in the book of Acts and more appropriately in the book of Ephesians chapter 20. We understand now that custodianship of the Bible was given to the priesthood, the body of Christ, and it was never taken away from them. God never gave it to anybody else. Man took it from you and put it where God never intended it to be. One of the greatest things that this church stands for and believes is the fact that we are the authors and the custodians of the Word of God. Our wide-margin Bibles and our Combat Bibles we buy out of Milford, Ohio. Milford, Ohio is a ministry there of printing Bibles out of the uh, First Bible Baptist Church of Milford. It's a New Testament local church who understands their responsibility to publishing the Word of God so the world doesn't have to do it. What 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 in our minds do we think that we're going to have God's Holy Word and that we're going to turn it over to Zondervan or we're going to turn it over to some worldly publisher to publish the Holy Word of God? It's the church's job. That's why I won't buy Bibles from them. I buy them from a local New Testament church because that's the mandate. We have custodianship of it. Now we want to now begin to look at the pattern. Last couple of times we looked at the model of the church. Now we're going to look at the pattern and in light of the letter that I wrote today. Now our text today is Hebrews 8, verse 5. And I hope that letter changes your whole perspective about what God is doing here. Because He's doing something here, and the fact that you hung out with the wrong crowd is your problem. Who serve under the example and the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for, see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mouth. Delano, would you ask God's blessing on the service this morning? God uses patterns. Exodus chapter 25, verse 40, it says God gave Moses the pattern for the tabernacle and all that was in the tabernacle. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 9, he says he gave patterns for the instruments that they had to make. In Joshua chapter 22, verse 28, he says there was a pattern for the altar that they had to make. In 1 Chronicles 28, verse 11, in Solomon's house, he gave them a pattern for the porch. In 1 Chronicles 28, 11, he gives them a pattern for everything else in the house. God uses patterns. A church needs to be a church that is built on patterns. Your Christian life needs to be a lifestyle that is built on pattern. Patterns are principles. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, the Bible says that how you and me How you and I deal with the issues that come into our lives form a pattern for other people to see. How's that going for you? Titus chapter 2 verse 7 talks about our lives. Our lives. Your life, my life being a pattern of good works. That others can see and understand what God is doing. This church needs to have a trail, a pattern of good works based on people who are in it. Who has a pattern in your life. Who deal with the issues in your life. Not the way you want to deal with them. But follow the pattern. There are certain things the way things have to go. And the fact that you don't like it doesn't change it. Now, let me give you some things here that are key to any pattern so you can recognize them in the Bible and maybe even recognize them in your own life. In the Bible, we know that certain numbers mean certain things. called Bible numerology. We're not crazy on it. We know that you can make numbers prove anything. But as I've told you many, many times, there are some things that are undeniable. One of them is the number three. Three in your Bible will always be the completeness of something. It, it, nothing will be finished till the third part shows up. I mean, we talk about what time is it? Well, it's 11:35. You know, time has three parts to it. It has a past. It has a present. It has a future. If I drew a line on this wall up here with a magic marker, that line has three parts. It has a. It has a. It has a depth. It has a breadth. And it has a. It has a height. You take any one of those parts away, you don't have a line. Has to be three. You see, three in the Bible and three in something in your life will always form a good balance. You talk about God. We talk about God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You talk about the Bible. The Bible doctrinally, inspirationally, and historically. You talk about you and me, man, body, soul, and spirit. You see, an unsaved man has a body and a soul, but his spirit's dead. He's incomplete. What completes is, is when he gets the third part, the Holy Spirit comes inside and quickens that spirit... Now he's alive in Christ Jesus. We talk about the name of God's Son, the Lord, Jesus, Christ. Three aspects to his life, to his name, in his name, the Lord, that deity, Jesus, that's the earthly man, Christ, that's Christoph, that's the anointed one. We say in the world, third time's a charm, it is. In your Christian life, What completes you is getting saved, Holy Spirit of God, getting you a Bible, and getting into a local New Testament church. When you get into the Bible, you get three things. You get knowledge, you get wisdom, and you get understanding. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament is built on three aspects. The law, the the writings, and the prophets. In the New Testament, it's built on the gospel, the acts, and the epistles. Three. And no math problem is going to be complete without the third part. Two and two is incomplete till you get six. Or four. <laughs> in the world. In the world. We talk about matter. Matter is three things. It's source, generation, and position. We talk about reality, which most of us don't want to deal with. It's time. It's matter and space. We talk about a family. Well, a husband and wife are a husband and wife, but they're not a family. They're not complete as a family Till number three shows up. In the earth, you have the air and the land and the sea. In the kingdoms, animal, vegetable, and mineral. The sun, X-ray, light rays, and heat rays. Music, harmony, rhythm, and melody. Army, Navy, and the Air Force. Three. So when God does something and lays down a pattern, it will be in a pattern of three. You never, 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 never want to forget that. That'll always form the biblical balance, the structure. We know that Proverbs 11, 1 says that a false balance is an abomination in the sight of the Lord. Now, couple of last two times we saw models based on Acts 11 through 13, church in Antioch. Now the pattern is something different, and I want to talk about that today and next week, built around, based on the timely letter that God sent our way. Now the pattern for the New Testament church will be found in a story and a study of the nation of Israel. It's called the church of the wilderness in Acts chapter 7. I gave it out last time we were together. The pattern of the church through the study of the nation of Israel, uh, comes alive through the types and through all the pictures. That's why the two greatest words in the Bible for unlocking the Bible are two of the smallest words as in like. They form up the patterns for us. Notice the parallels. Israel in the Old Testament is called a congregation. You're called a congregation. Israel in the Old Testament is called a church. Acts chapter 7, Ephesians chapter 5, you're the church. Church militant. I mean, it's all right there. God's system in the Old Testament uh, was God's church, Israel. God's system in the New Testament is Christ's church, the bride of Christ, us. Both go through a transitional period to get where God wants them to be so they can be fruitful. Israel went through theirs. Church went through it, if you know church history. They're both called God's son. Both have a commission and a mission for, for God. Israel's is to nations. I's is to individuals. That's very important. You don't want to miss that. Both are built around one central figure. The Old Testament nation of Israel was built around an ark. You and I, and our relationship is built around Christ. That Christ, that ark in the Old Testament is a type of Christ. And yet both reject God's Word, Old Testament Israel and the church. Both go into apostasy. Both completely lose God. And they lose His Word. Both of them face a judgment because of their sin and apostasy. And both replace the priest class with a non-biblical system. The nation of Israel replaced the priest class with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The New Testament church replaced it, you, with the Bible scholars. Now, this, with that in mind, let's examine the pattern in lieu of our letter today. Let's talk about the ark for a moment. We'll talk about the ark this week, and then we'll get into the rest of the patterns next week and close it out. As I said, the ark in the Old Testament will be a picture and a type of Christ. The ark was central that all that Israel did, and everything that they did, everything that happened centered around the ark. In the New Testament, for you and me, it's Christ. Everything you ought to do ought to be centered around Christ. Everything you do ought to be centered around Him being the number one thing in your life. It's just that simple when it came to that ark, there's three things that were put in that ark. You might know there'd be three. Three things that put in that ark, which form up for you and for me, the three things that God cares most about, or Christ cares most about. Here we go. You might know it was three. Somebody said, what does Christ care about? Well, he doesn't care about who wins the ball games this afternoon. He doesn't care about the things probably that you think he cares about. No, no. When they put that ark together, they put three things in that ark. That ark is a type of Christ. And those three things represent the three things that are in Christ today. That's all he cares about. The first thing they put in was the Old Testament law. Because the apple of God's heart is the nation of Israel. They're his people. And he's going to bring them back someday. Second thing they put in an ark was the rod of Aaron. Remember the rod of of Aaron that budded? Aaron was the priest. That rod that he had, that priestly rod represents the New Testament church. You're supposed to be fruitful and budding as a priest today. And the third thing they put in out of Exodus chapter 16 was a pot of manna. Type of the word of God. There's only three things in the heart of Christ today. Too bad they're not the only three things in our heart. Back to Him. The only thing in Christ's mind today is the nation of Israel. That's why we're going through what we're going through in the Middle East. The body of Christ, you, and the Word of God. There was nothing else in that ark. Why is there other things in your life and in my life? When it comes to Christ, I'm not saying you can't have other things in your life. I'm saying when it comes to your relationship with God. Why do you question some things that are so clear in the Bible? Maybe you just want to. Maybe it's who you're hanging out with. Maybe they started questioning it, and you're so stupid, now you're questioning it. See, I don't like the word stupid. I don't either, but boy, it sure fits today. Now, when the children of Israel traveled... They had 40 years of wandering, you do know that, and for 40 years every day they got up, or sometimes they may have camped for a while, uh, but when they started to move, that ark was always out in front, and they followed the ark. Now that's a picture of the leading of God in your life. When you get up in the morning, or you leave here this afternoon, or you begin to go through life after you get saved, I want to tell you something, you follow the leading of Christ in your life. You don't go your own way. The big word today that we've all forgotten in salvation is the word repentance. We think repentance means you're sorry. We think repentance means you're brokenhearted and cry. That's not what repentance means. Repentance means that you were going one way in your life and the day you got saved, you quit going that way, now you're following the ark. That's what it means. Change of direction. And along with that, that ark was to be, I don't know if you've ever studied it, that ark had rings on the side and they put long poles called staves through both sides and they, they, they picked it up and they carried it on their shoulders. That's how it went. When the children of Israel were going, there were guys that were carrying that ark on their shoulders through those staves, through those rings. Now, now there's a reason for that. And it's a great principle. You remember back in Second Samuel chapter six, there was a guy by the name of Uzziah. Remember that story? And the ark had been down in Philistine land, and David got it back, and they put that ark on a, bringing it out of Philistine country on an ox cart, and they're all walking around praising the Lord, and the ark stumbled. This is a great principle, kids. You don't want to miss this. And yet some of you are just waiting to miss it. When I say this, it's so clear. To you it'll be so, I don't get it. That ox is going along and that ox stumbles. And the cart shams this way or that way. And the ark begins to tip. And there was a great New Testament Christian by the name of Uzziah. What a man of God he was. And I'm sure he was. Just like a lot of you are. And that ark stumbled and the ark began to fall. He did what anybody should have done. He reached up and kept God from falling off the cart. Rewards in heaven? Millennial rewards? Jump seat of Christ? No, God killed him. God killed him. God have a bad day? Mean old God? Because you don't understand why God killed him. You think there was something wrong with God. Just because when I preach you something you don't like to hear, you think there's something wrong with me. Well, there may be something wrong with me, but there'll never be nothing wrong with God. Need to clarify that. So the cart begins to shimmy-shammy. And it falls over, and Uzziah, Oh, God, I love you. God says, I love you too. Bap! You know there were people that didn't understand that. Most of God's people in the Laodicean church period will never understand it. God designed that ark to be carried on staves, on shoulders of men because it represents the burden of Christ in your life and my life and we are to bear that burden on our shoulders. Amen. That ox cart was a Philistine concept. The world. It didn't matter Isaiah's motive. It didn't matter Isaiah's fervor for God. What, and it doesn't matter with you. What matters is God wants it done His way. Not your way. You got churches today that you don't even have to bring your Bible anymore. We'll put it up on the big screen. Ours is out for for repairs. You don't even have to bring your Bible anymore. It'll be a cold day in Topeka, Kansas before I tell you not to bring your Bible on Sunday morning. You go to churches, they don't have hymnals. They'll put the songs up there, you can just sing along. There's some value in getting a hymnal. Open it up, looking at that hymnal, seeing who wrote it, seeing the date it was written i got to be honest, most songs that they sing today in the latest churches are worth putting in a book. But ours are. Yeah, now you can go to a church and you can have them take your tithe right out of your paycheck or go online and go online giving. We will never do that here. Because there's value, and maybe you don't get it. There's value. There's value in you writing out your check, taking it out of your wallet, separating it from what you got, and then saying, God, here it is because I love you. Please don't tell me the only time you remember what you give to God is when you look at your bank statement. That's Laodicea. And everybody's fine with that. Hey, I'm the odd man out. If this message was circulated around the preachers of this city today and some of your friends today, they would think I'm out of my mind right up to they showed up on Thursday night and we opened up a Bible. God killed him. God wasn't mad. He wasn't a mean old God. But there were people that thought God was unfair, just like people will think the preacher's unfair when he has to preach the message. God wasn't mad. God is exact in what He wants. And the idea that you and I come up with of a better way, God's not interested in. Never right to do wrong to get the chance to do right. That ox cart mentality... That ark was designed by God to be carried and burdened on the shoulders of men. Jesus Christ, when He comes into your life, He tells you in Matthew, Take my burden, my yoke is easy upon you, but there will be a burden you have to carry. And too many of God's people want to take the burden of God off their shoulders and put it on an ox cart. The death of his eye is a picture of the Laodicean church age. That the church goes worldly. And forsakes and forgets the biblical principles that it's supposed to operate by. And I'm the bad guy. It represents us carrying the burden of the Lord's ministry. Wherever he leads us. On our shoulders. The burden of these people getting these Bibles are on our shoulders. God could have sent it to any church, any place. He sent it to us because we were the initial ones that got 220 people saved. They must have listened to some messages way back when, because I ain't done one a good one for a while. You say you keep hitting that point over and over. And over again till you see the stupidity of it. Now, I'll show you something else. I'll show you something else about this ark. You want to watch this? Don't tell me about the old Bible I got. Don't try to give me a better rendition. Don't try to give me a devil's Bible to NIV. Turn over to Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. I want to show you something about your Bible. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim, and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass, after three days, that the officers went throughout the host. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest and the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. And there shall be a space between you and it, 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that, it may not, uh, that you may know the way which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. You know what? It's no wonder. It's no wonder. There's no wonders of God in your life. It's no wonder. Don't you get tired of just going through the dalton? It's no wonder you get an attitude about things. How do you get an attitude about things when God is using you? How do you get an attitude about things when God is just using you one upside and down the other? How do you get an attitude about things when God is just permeating your life with the blessings and doing the wonders? It's no wonder. There's no wonder in God's people's lives today. I get it. Now, I want you to look at something. First of all, I want you to see this thing. It says there, first of all, we're talking about, in verse 2, after three days. We're talking about the third day. Then whatever this is, is going to be a picture of the second coming of Christ in some way, shape, or form. The third day, that's the second coming. Verse 4, we follow that ark, so you'll know the way. You see, you don't know what life has for you. <clears throat> We live in this world as darkness. <coughs> the Bible says that He's the light of the world. The word of God is a lamp under my feet, light unto my path. <coughs> it lights my path. So I follow the light. Hey, I've had sixty six years, sixty five years. Sixty six years. I've had <coughs> I've had forty years of following my own way in darkness. And some of you just refuse to follow the light. You've got every excuse in the world. And you think they're good. And they may work now with your friends, your mom, your dad, me. They'll work right up to the judgment seat of Christ. The next thing. I want you to notice that the priests are carrying it. The New Testament priesthood, the local New Testament church. Not some parachurch organization. That ark is being carried by the priest. In the New Testament church, you are the priest. No Bible scholar should carry it. No Bible college should carry it. Nobody outside a New Testament local church should carry that book because of the fact, or carry that ark because of the fact it was carried by the priest. Now look at verse 3 again. When you see Christ, the ark... Being carried by the New Testament priest here. I'm going to give you some good practical advice. You weren't going to take it, but I'm going to give it to you. It says there, when you see the ark being carried by the priest, good practical advice I'm going to give you. When you see the ark carried by the priest, leave the place you are and go after it. You need to be going after Christ this morning. I'm not sure what you're going after. Maybe it's a her, maybe it's a him. Maybe it's an it. (laughs) When you see the the people in this church doing what they're supposed to do, the Bible says that your good works are a pattern. How you deal with issues in your life is a pattern. People see that and they'll say, go after it. You know what happened with this? And I never even met them and neither have you. God used our little website because of you. And they saw Christ and they saw the ark. And they said, you know what? We see a bunch of priests carrying that thing on their shoulders. We're going after it. It's only the beginning. I told somebody the other day, it's only a matter of time. then I'll be sending teams of you, not to just Lincoln or Wichita. You'll be going to Nigeria. You'll be going to England. You'll be going to Holland. You'll be going to South Africa. That's the next step. It's the next level. I could just get my sermons together. Now, I want you to look at verse 4. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, the ark of 2,000 cubits. Hmm. Okay. Why, why, what's God's deal here? I mean, uh, why 2,000 cubits behind uh, the ark uh, on the third day, the ark's a type of Christ, the third day's a type of, of, uh, of the second coming. Why do you have 2,000 uh, cubits, and then the nation of Israel falls in behind? I'll tell you why. Because you have the nation of Israel, then you have 2,000 years of church history, then you have the second coming of Christ. That's Why? There's a 2,000 year space between Israel and the second coming of Christ so God's pattern is put 2,000 cubits between it because you guys don't know this yet but there's going to be a 2,000 period of time called church history that separates the nation of Israel and the third day. That's why. That's some Bible you got. See, My professor never taught me that. That's because he's professing the wrong things. You'll notice how they like to be called professors? It's built on the word profess. A professor professes things. If so when you go to Bible college, you take a Bible college class, you'll have a professor. I'm a professor. I profess that the King James Bible is the absolute perfect word of God. We just don't profess the same things. Now, lastly, out of Joshua here, verse 5. You get all that down, then God will do wonders among you. This here is one of the wonders that God did among us. Wasn't looking for it, had no idea what was happening. 10,000, 12,000 miles away. While we're here, doing what we're doing, building a Philadelphian church and a Laodicean church period, God has taken what you people have sweated and labored and built in this work. It isn't me. You could get a chimpanzee to do what I do if you trained him right. It's you. It's you. It's you who have understood what we're trying to do. It's you who have understood. It's you older guys that, and gals that God has brought back to stabilize these younger people. It's you. You host of young guys and gals are incredible. But everybody knows in a military organization, <coughs> you need to have cadre, veterans. God just mixes the whole thing together, and God will do wonders among you. This room is filled with wonders that God has done in your lives. Some of your lives were a mess. Darren, I don't know how many years you guys finally played softball and volleyball before you decided to come to church. F- f- many. Twenty. Give me twenty. I need to stop a big thing here. Twenty. A long time. You know what you guys are today? You're a wonder. You're a wonder, yeah. I'm with you. You're a wonder. He's saying, "I wonder too." Sometimes, but there, no, he's a wonder. I'll tell you, you guys up in Lincoln, you're a wonder. I mean, come on. I mean, come on. Give me a break. It's, a, it's. You're a wonder. God has reached down through here, and and, and it's. It, it, I remember, I remember the night you got saved. The Bible, four years ago, seven years ago. That's what I needed. Seven years ago. She came in with, she came in, got saved, hasn't looked back since. The story's filled that way. I look at the Christiansons. One family we wanted to have when we started the church, and I'm not lying, was you, John and Betsy, was you guys. We didn't want the kids. I love you guys. You're a wonder. You're a wonder. Where you been? He calls me up after being away from me for 20 years and wants to know if it's okay if he comes to church. No, you can't come to church. I don't want you here. You're a wonder. You're a wonder. Throughout this room today is what God has done. I remember the first time I met Bubba over at Waldo's Pizza. What a hot dog you were. (laughs) Playing video games. I wouldn't introduced myself. After I shook hands, I wanted to slap you. You're a wonder. You're a wonder. It's a wonder. I mean, I'm telling you. And you know why? Because you follow Christ. You do it the way He wants it to be done, not your way. And great wonders you will do among you. Incredible. Now that ark housed, was housed in a tabernacle. That tabernacle was built by a pattern, Hebrews chapter eight. Now, you want a model and a pattern for what our Christian life and our church should be? Study the pattern of the tabernacle, the ark. A tabernacle, a picture of your life and my life and what this church is. You know, there were seven pieces of furniture in that in that seven pieces of furniture in that tabernacle. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 talks about the fact that all Scripture given by any of God is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, destruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished. You know, God wants to build some furniture inside your tabernacle. What? No, you're not your body. is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. He wants to build some furniture inside. You know, you all got, anybody buy a house here and just never furnished it? We'll sleep on the floor. Maybe you did when you first got married. But, you know, we'll, we'll just sleep on the floor. We don't need any plates. We don't need any of this. We don't need any beds. We don't need any chairs. We don't need anything. You know that does not work. Furnishings in your home makes life more comfortable. And when you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside you. He wants to make some furniture inside you that will make him comfortable. Why do you think that Jesus Christ's occupation was a carpenter? He built furniture. You don't have to pay for that. <laughs> so the two key words here in this verse is truly. It starts on the inside when you get saved. And it goes to the outside. It's truly thru- furnished. He builds the furnishings in your life. Only Bible in the world that has that correct doctrinal application is the King James Bible. Your NIV, the best of the best today. It says that you're thoroughly equipped. Completely misses the doctrinal whole concept, but they always do. Now, based on the pattern, you're not thoroughly equipped. You're thoroughly furnished from the inside out. And you will build seven pieces of furniture that make you perfect for the work of the ministry because God is comfortable. And when God doesn't have those furnishings, He's grieved. Now, let's talk about the tabernacle here for a moment. There's three compartments. You might know it'd be three. You had the outer fenced in area, you had the tent itself, and then you had a place called the Holy of Holies. Three compartments. Outside in the first compartment, there was the brazen altar made of brass. That's where the sacrifice was burnt. Picture of Christ's death on the cross. Right before you went in, there was a, a laver of water that had little spigots on it. Now, the tabernacle had a lot of things, and the priest went in there and did all the work in the second uh, compartment, uh, but there was no floor in it. So he gets his feet dirty every time he goes in and go out. So every time, every time, every time before he goes back in to do the work in the ministry, you know what he does? He goes over to that laver of water. He washes off his feet so he's clean when he goes in to minister. That's a picture of you getting right with God every time you come to Bible study or church, yeah. every time you open the Bible. You get dirty walking up and down this earth. So you gotta wash your feet. Then you went inside. You had the showbread over here that had bread on it, 12, uh, 12 laid out six and six. And that showbread's a picture of the twelve tribes of the nation of Israel, but the bread's a picture of the Word of God. And it's laid out in six six because he knew that the pattern would be that when you'd get a Bible, it'd have 66 books in it. It's called the table of showbread, table of fellowship. Over on the other side, you had a seven pronged candlestick that represents the Holy Spirit of God. Seven spirits in Isaiah chapter 11 in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit. It's called a Moriah today. And so uh, you had over there, and then, uh, uh, and I'm going to tell you, it's the, only, it's the only light inside that tabernacle once you went inside the second compartment was those seven golden candlesticks. And you know as well as I do that you'd be out in the bright sun in the Sinai Desert over there. It'd be 110 degrees and it would be so bright you'd be, and then you walk into a, a tent where there's absolutely no outside light and you're going to minister in there and all you've got is the light of seven little candlesticks over here. You know what you'd have to do? You'd have to just stop and wait a little bit. You'd have to give your eyes time to adjust from coming from the world's light to God's light. Now in this church here we call that discipleship. When you first get saved, we take a little time in your life and we let your eyes get adjusted to the new light. Out of the, you come out of the world's light into God's light. And you just got to wait a little bit and let your eyes get adjusted and then you can go to work in the ministry. I'm not saying you can't do some things, but you know as well as I do that you're most prone to make some bad mistakes when you're a young Christian. Amen. Amen. And then he went to work. And I always thought this. The candlestick's over here. The bread's over here. He's working back and forth. But there's no light in there other than that. So what he has to do when he's working on the table, he can't work in front of it. He has to go around behind it. And he has to work it from here because otherwise he'll block the light from the Holy Spirit on the bread. You see, you can't get in front of the Word of God. You've got to get behind it. You can't block the Holy Spirit of God wanting to illuminate what He wants to give you. And then... And then a little bit up there toward there, you had a, you had a, a, a golden a laver that they put incense in. And he, he carried it around, swinging it back and forth. That's a picture of your prayer life. That's a picture of your praying without ceasing. That, that incense off there gets, uh, uh, gets lit off the uh, fire from the brazen altar. Picture your prayer life always going back to what Christ did for you. When you got a little bit closer up to the Holy of Holies, before that, that veil was, there was an altar of incense. Where the labor of incense is the picture of your prayers and your prayer life, the altar of incense is the picture of God praying for you before the throne of God, making intercession with you with groaning that cannot be uttered. And then you have the Holy of Holies. That's where the ark was. That Holy of Holies represents for you and for me a place where most of God's people never get. You know, there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of priests in Israel, but only one got to go behind the veil. You know, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Christians in Kansas City, but very few of them are to go behind the veil. When you went behind the veil, you really saw what God was doing. You saw what it was all about. You ain't going to kid me that that priest didn't go in there and see those cherubim over that throne and see that thing and see that that radiating of that light out of that thing and see that you're not going to tell me that when he came out of there his life wasn't changed and you're not going to tell me that if what will change your life is going behind the veil and seeing who Christ really is in your life in this church you'll never be the same. This is part of it. What he's doing. I always like when God does tremendous things without me being involved in it. Because I know that when I'm involved in it, I'm usually in it for the wrong motive. I love it when God just drops it out of nowhere and I had absolutely, you had nothing to do with it other than the initial stuff that we just do. But God just comes down and says, here, by the way, this was going on in Africa while you were out there, uh, you know, washing your car. (laughs) All right, Lord, I won't wash the car anymore. I don't like washing it anyhow. I'm not going to cut the grass. Doctor told me not to. Most of God's people never get behind the veil. You know, Hollywood. Hollywood is always trying to destroy everything about the Bible. Billy Sunday was a great preacher, and uh, he probably won millions and millions of people to Christ. Hollywood came out with a movie called Elmer Gantry, which took the picture of him. Uh, it was Billy aimed at Billy Sunday, and portrayed him as a drunken, fornicating, and just, just because they hate everything that God does. My favorite anti-Bible movie has always been The Wizard of Oz. And, I, and I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't watch it. My kids grew up. I learned a great biblical lesson about my children and them watching The Wizard of Oz. When they were growing up, when The Wizard of Oz was on, they were glued. And I watched it, you know, and they watched it over and over again, you know, and the rest of that week I heard every song Off to See the Wizard. I heard all the little things, the Munchkins. All those things, you know. (laughs) I heard those great guys. Oh, wee, oh, oh, oh. I love those guys. And for the next week, they watched it one time. They knew every character, they knew every song. And we had to work unbelievably hard to get them to learn their memory verses and sing Bible songs. I learned a great lesson from that. But to me, and I, I, I love doing these things. I, I look at every one of them. That's why I want to go see Alien. I want to put it all together in the Bible. <laughs> 1939, they came up with The Wizard of Oz. And you know the story. It's a picture of of, of going, basically, it's a picture of going to a Golden Emerald City from Kansas. And you know how it works. You get there by following the yellow brick road. You know this Bible is filled with principles that form that yellow brick road. To get to the place where you're going to get home. Now home for me is in Kansas. It's heaven. But this this is the takeoff of it. So you have Dorothy... And she wants to get back home, and she's told, and you know, in the story, you have two women, just like in Proverbs. You have the wicked witch, and then you have the good fairy. If there are any good fairies out there. Sounds like a fairy bad statement to make, but what can I say to the dead I live in? they didn't have that problem in 1939. And And the wicked witch, oh, we don't want to forget this. The wicked witch, you know how she gets killed? They put water on her. Water's a type of the word of God. You want to kill the wickedness world? Just throw some water on it. Oh, I love this. I love this thing. I watched it last night till two o'clock in the morning. And then Dorothy has three companions. And those three companions, when you really watch the movie, they don't help her get there. They're, they're an obstacle to her to get there. They're always complaining. They're always afraid. I mean, they're always cowering. They're always thinking we should do this and we should do that. Oh, don't go through here. Don't go through here. You know what they're... Now, Dorothy's a good gal, and she's gonna, she wants to get there, but it's just like with some of you who are good people. Some of the idiots you hang out with going to impede your progress. You see, some of you hang out with the tin men. And they have no heart for God. And you think that you're going you're gonna to just go right through life and it's going to be okay hanging out with the ten men who have no heart for the things of God. And then some of you pick up the straw guy along the way and he's got no brains. And some of you pick up the cowardly lion and he has no courage for God. These are the people that she put in her world. I know it's just a movie, but these are the people that she put in her world, and they never really helped her get there. They were always impeding her process, afraid of everything, questioning everything. And this is why you have such a tough time on your yellow brick road. I counseled a lady one time years ago who was from Kansas, and her name was Dorothy. We were talking about her marital problems, and I said, you know, I said, I bet you get a lot, of, a lot of jokes about being Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz, don't you? She said, oh, you wouldn't even believe it. She says, I've been married. This is my third marriage. She says, the first one had no heart. He was lazy. The second one had no, uh, had no uh, uh, he, was a, he was a wimp. He didn't have any courage. And the one I got now, I ain't got a brain one. He says, I feel just like Dorothy. I get it. Problem with us sometimes, we, we put the... And then you got the flying demons. Oh, yeah, you got those little monkey guys who are flying all over the place to go with the wicked witch. And then you got God himself, the wizard. And you know what? When she finally gets to Oz, that emerald city, Revelation chapter 21, he's behind a veil. And she came all that way thinking that there was a real wizard. And all it was was some broken down old man who looked like W.C. Fields who couldn't do anything and his way to get her back to Kansas was a hot air balloon. My point is this, and I know it's a movie. And it's a movie slammed against that book and what God wants to do with you. But I'm going to tell you this, this is my point. They never saw the reality of what the situation really was until that little dog pulled back the veil and they saw who was pulling the levers. And in a biblical sense, you'll never really know what God is doing in your life and how it's being done and why it's being done, the way it's being done, till you cross through ministry and go behind that veil and get into the Holy of Holies with he who's behind that veil. Everything else, you're just wasting your time. She never saw what reality was till she saw that was going on behind there. And as a Christian, you'll never understand what God in reality is till you go behind the veil, the Holy of Holies, and see it for yourself. And 99% of God's people will never get behind that veil, they'll never get there. They'll never see Christ as he really is in this life. They'll never know what God loves. They'll never know what God hates. All they'll go through life is knowing what they love and what they hate. And it usually doesn't match up. God's people will go through their whole lives thinking they have a relationship with God and yet have no idea of who He really is. And they delude themselves thinking that this Laodicean mindset of who you think Christ is is really a relationship with Christ. You'll never have one till you get behind the veil. Hundreds of priests in Israel. Only one got to go behind. Hundreds of Christians. Very few ever go behind the veil. This church's job is to furnish you. Furnish you with the things that in your spiritual life that will make you perfect for the work of the ministry. The patterns. We do this by preaching truth to your heart and you accepting it and then God building the furniture in your life. He's a carpenter. He specializes in furniture. When you go behind the veil, your life will never be the same. Your life will take on a total and complete meaning. You will laugh at those who laugh at God's church in the light of what God's doing because their head is somewhere where it shouldn't be. You'll never be influenced by the wrong crowd. You know why? The light memorizing off of that that ark will just keep you wired and plugged in. You'll never lose sight of the wonders that he does in your life when you go behind the veil and understand why he's doing it. You'll understand why he saved you, why he put you in Kansas City, why he gave you the family he gave you, and why he brought you here. Behind the veil will be your personal, intimate relationship with Christ, that in all you do, you do by the principles of the Word of God. His way, not yours. It'll affect your prayer life. It'll affect your relationship with the Word of God. It'll affect your obedience to the principles. It'll affect your walk and your fellowship with God following that ark, Christ, letting Him lead you where you've never been. And in time, through just the website, He's taken us to Nigeria, South Africa, Holland, England, and I can't even tell you the scores of places in the United States. You and me, going behind the veil, coming out, picking up that ark, shouldering the responsibility of the ministry that God has given us in this New Testament local church. You know, The book of Colossians is a tremendous book. It stands to validate the old saying that great things come in small packages. It's only got four chapters, but wow. Four little chapters that present the most powerful understanding of where we are at today. When I began to build this church, the book of Colossians was one of the books that uh, I followed very closely, understanding what it does. See, Colossians, was a city in Western Asia Minor on the banks of, of the river Lycus. It, in its day, it was a mighty metropolitan city of trade. but it had, in, in years back then, in the Bible times, it had become eclipsed and become second-rate by a city that was just 11 miles south, which was called Laodicea. And in the book of Colossians, you find Laodicea mentioned five times. The church here was built by one of Paul's boys. Paul didn't build this one himself. And it was mostly composed of Gentiles. This little book will show us today how Christianity has been eclipsed, the true church, by Laodicea and how it's destroyed New Testament Christianity. You know, Colossia was here and 11 miles south was Laodicea. We're here in Independence, but if you drive down 40 Highway, you're in Kansas City. If there's no sign there that says you're entering Kansas City and leaving Lee Summit or uh, Independence, you don't know where and you cross over. You know that that's the way it is in our Christian lives when you leave the things of God and you move into Laodicea? You know how close those things are? And the problem is because you're not in the principles of the Word of God, you don't have the signs telling you when you're getting close to Laodicea and you better get back. So you just drive right into it. (laughs) And you wonder why you have the attitudes you have. You wonder why you have your problems you have. It's tough for you here. You're a Laodicean mindset in a Philadelphian mindset church. I get it. I get it. Four little chapters that define what the root problem is today in the church. Chapter one, I don't know if you've ever looked at it or not, but chapter one, he goes over and over and over and over and over again. And what he does simply is he redefines who Christ is. You know why? Because the church had forgotten how Christ is. This church today, the church age, has forgotten who Christ is. They think, he's, they think he's into everything that's going on. And you know what? When you start talking like this, some of you, and obviously some of your friends, they don't like that kind of talk either. I get it. I get it. But it's true. I mean, I can't tell you. I mean, either God has a Bible or he doesn't. It's either true or it isn't. You either follow the principles or you don't. That's right. You either go and follow in the of the Word of God or you're going to go with the straw, the straw man, the tin man, and the cowardly lion. So he goes through that whole chapter. The hallmark of laodice in Christianity and churches is building a relationship with God on your terms. That is. The whole mindset of Laodicea. And if you don't believe that's true, just come over sometime in the privacy of my office so you're not embarrassed by anybody but me, and I won't embarrass you. We'll find out if you do or you don't. No big deal. The hallmark of Laodicea in Christianity today is God's people want to build their relationship with Christ. You're like Uzziah. You want to do it your way. On your terms. You want to take the ox cart off the staves and put it on a worldly cart, and then you want to help God along. (laughs) Yes, you do. Chapter 2. Chapter 2, he now takes the time to show us what has replaced the Bible and God's principles. He says in verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, Traditions of men, the rudiments of the world, the rudiments of men, and not after Christ. See that thing? These are all things that have replaced the Word of God. You go to most churches now, big churches, they have a staff psychiatrist on there to solve your problems. They have such big churches and such big things up there that, that it's all built, that uh, it's all in vanity. It's all, look at what we have. You go to, I, I remember one time I walked into a big church, and a guy took 20 minutes to show me around all that they had. They had everything. They had a restaurant. They had a gymnasium. I mean, it was incredible. They had a restaurant. They had a gymnasium. And they had this, and they had that. And the auditorium was incredibly beautiful. And they had all these Sunday school classes. They had this and that. And he says, look what we, look what we have here. And I just said, yeah, that is great. Look what I got. What good is all that if you don't have this? And they didn't have this. See where we've come? Tradition of men. Rudiments of the world. The church of Jesus Christ today, unfortunately, is rooted in the world. They don't care about anything but getting bigger and fatter and better. You go to most churches today, whatever you do, whatever they give you, you pay for it. They charge you for it. You go to a class, you've got to pay $40, $50 to take that class. You want to go? get married, it's $600 to use our deal. I mean, you tithe and you support it and you clean it and you do all this stuff, but when it comes back to you using it, we want money for it. And then chapter 3 and chapter 4. Thank God for chapter 3 and chapter 4. It gives me my response to it. And this is how I survive. This is Bob Alexander's survival chapters. Verse 1. In spite of everything in chapter 1 and 2, Verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1 says, If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not the things of this earth. I don't give a flying flip about one thing on this planet. I got my affections set on things above. I know in the Bible what's new. There's a new heaven. There's a new birth. There's a new Jerusalem. There's a new spirit coming to Israel. I got a new name written down in glory. I'm focused on those things. It forms my reality check. God saved you and me for a reason. It wasn't so you could do whatever you wanted to do. God wanted to use you. God wanted to use you. God wanted to use you to do things out there, just like in Acts chapter 8, when the old Ethiopian eunuch from Africa is reading over there, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, and doesn't know what he's doing. God sends him Philip. And Philip comes up and says, understand what thou readest? And the old boy says, how can I? Except some man should guide me. And he desired Philip to come up. And the Bible says that Philip started that scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Times really haven't changed. He had 219 people over in Africa, 220 people over in Africa, Got on a website, said in their hearts, what's this all about? And God gave them everything they needed. And then they sent a letter to all the Phillips in this church saying, what do I do now? Times haven't changed. God is still in the wonder business. Problem is, we've got out of it. He hasn't. Let the Word, he says over there, he says, if you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Then he says in verse 16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart of the Lord. You see, here's the deal. You study your Bible, most of you probably do. You'll dwell in the Word of God richly. But the problem is you won't let the Word of God dwell in you richly. You don't do anything with what you read. You just read enough to satisfy your conscience for today. You don't read the Bible to find out what God really wants you to do with your life. God help us. It may change my plans. No, no. I'll dwell in the Word of God as long as that Word of God won't really dwell in me. And that's why today most of God's people have no furnishings. And the real tragedy is they're satisfied with that. And that's why you have to get a bad attitude because bad attitude helps you be satisfied with what you don't have from God. Because bad attitudes always justify your position that this is the way I am and here's the reason for it. I know all about bad attitudes. I get them all the time. (laughs) Chapter 4 says, following the principles of the Word of God and the patterns and allowing God to do the work in our lives. And verse 3 says in chapter 4, and God giving us a door of utterance. You see, when we do what's right with the Word of God, when we do what's right with the Word of God in this church, when we make sure that we stand in this pulpit, we preach the truth, then God takes that and around in time around this country, and now we're seeing it around the world. Some little podunk church that people would laugh at where we're at compared to some of the Taj Mahal's that are out there today. That people come down here, I watched when. Uh, uh, john hill's daughter 's funeral we had some old people come down here that that uh, we used to know from years ago and they they, live, they, they they have a humongous tomb of a church you know and uh, I had to watch them when they came in they snickered when they looked around say that 's okay that 's all right those things don't bother me a bit you know why i 'd rather have the book. And I would have the wonders of God in my life, in this church, Amen. than any building you can ever put up, anytime, anyplace, anywhere. You could overlay it with gold a thousand times, and I'd walk into that thing, and if it didn't have the Bible, I'd be out of there so fast, and I'd just stick with the book. You know why? Because the wonders are not in big church buildings. The wonders are in the principles of the Word of God. Amen. The wonders are it dwelling in you, and then God <coughs> giving us the open door. Laodicea was just 11 miles south of Colossus. And that's such a pertinent concept because you could walk out of that city, not keep track of your, your mileage, and boy, before you know it, you're in Laodicea. You know, in your Christian life, only takes one bad attitude to get you in Laodicea. In the Old Testament, Laodicea, or in the New Testament times, Laodicea was just 11 miles south. Let me tell you something. In the church age today, the distance is a lot shorter. You'd be there in a heartbeat. Next week, I'm going to finish out the last part of this, and I'm going to take you on the inside and show you the patterns of the three kinds of people that make up every church. Now, I want you to pray about our brethren. I've already got some things moving here. I'm going to contact this lady this week, find out for sure what they need. We're going to find out what we need to do. I want you to pray about in your heart what you want to do. You come and see me. If you want to If you want to buy a Bible, if family wants to buy a Bible, whatever you do, the Bible's going to probably be around $30 dollars. Uh, I'm working on it with all the shipping and everything we're going to have to do and I'm not going to have to work all that out, but uh